Good morning to you. I hope you're doing really well, having a really good 2017 thus far. It's been quite a year already, hasn't it? Uh, there's all sorts going on in the nation. We've got Brexit happening. There are uh, finance challenges. There are challenges internationally. We've seen Donald Trump in, in presidency this, this week. And um, there's a fan in the house. And um, you know, he's wanting to put a wall around the Mexicans. And the Mexicans are wanting to put a wall around Donald Trump. And it's, it's all a little awkward. And, and I guess with all of that going on, against that backdrop, it's never been more important that as a church we know who we are and what we're meant to be doing. And that's why at the beginning of this year we've tried to set out something of the mission uh, that we're on. So Phil started the year with that and talked about us being here to see God's glory extend across the whole earth and what that looks like. And then having looked at something of the mission, Simon then followed that up by looking at the vision for this next year. And if you remember, he talked about us becoming a house of great hospitality, welcoming all different people in, and focusing on the call for us to become a joy-filled house of prayer and worship, and a house of creativity and the arts and so on. But of course, it's not just enough to know where we're headed and what we want to do. We also want to be aware of who we are on the journey. And so last week, Simon uh, touched on one of our cultural values. We've got five, but he focused in on the culture of honor, and it, it was simply outstanding, actually. It was excellent. If you haven't heard any of the talks thus far this year, why don't you sort of catch up to speed and get hold of those online? So that's what we've been doing so far uh, this year. But I thought it would be great to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at our response as a people. So we've had all this laid before us. Well, how do we want to respond as a result? Because I'm aware that in a group this size, in a room this size, we'll have a variety of different reactions to what we've heard. And we will respond in different ways. Perhaps according to how connected we feel to what's going on, or to a certain extent how well we feel we're doing spiritually at any given moment. And if you imagine, there's a spectrum of different responses across the front here. Uh, to one side, we'd have a whole bunch of people who hear these things, and they're seriously really excited about everything they've heard put before them. Uh, we're, we're thinking to ourselves, you know, I'm up for the challenge of reaching Bedford and Milton Keynes and beyond. I want to see this transformation center established. Maybe we're excited for the future, and we're embracing the vision, and the mission. We love the culture so much, we decided to have five more children and name them authenticity, acceptance, generosity, honor, and courage. You know, that's what, that's what we want to do. We've joined seven groups now. We're a group every night of the week, and we're just, we feel like we're in the sweet spot of what God's calling us to. Perhaps for the first time in our lives, we've encountered a sense of destiny in an old crayon factory in Bedford, of all places. And so we are loving life and loving God and loving being part of this church. But of course, that's not the whole story. Because that doesn't represent the whole spectrum of what's going on. Perhaps represented over this side will be at the other end of the equation. And if we're honest, for whatever reason, we don't feel we're able to respond with much emotional capacity to what's going on. Perhaps for us, the predominant emotion is that we just feel overwhelmed. You know, we are spinning plates frantically. Uh, perhaps we are aware of relational challenges in our life. There's conflict and difficulty. Uh, for some of us, it's purely the time crunch. There's just not enough hours in the day. Meanwhile, others of us know what it is to live under constant financial pressure. We regularly find that there's plenty of month left at the end of the money. 
Or maybe for others, it's the pressure of work commitments or exams or caring for an elderly relative. And we feel, at best, a little bit static spiritually and possibly at worst, like we're going backwards. So we come here on a Sunday morning and the tempo is very much upbeat. And everybody's enthusiastic and clapping and cheering and we just feel a little bit disconnected from the whole thing. And rather than times together buoying us up, it just serves to make us feel more isolated than we did before. And so there's this massive contrast going on in church life. Some of us doing really well, others not so much. For those of us doing really well, you know, if we were to put it pictorially, which is the way many of us think, we feel like we're part of an army that's on the advance. Or, or like a bird that's soaring on the thermals of God's goodness. Or diving in and out of the waves of God's blessing, like a marlin diving in and out of the Pacific Ocean. That's how we feel. Meanwhile, at the other side of the equation, those of us uh, who, if we would say we're in an army, well, we'd say the army we're in is in retreat. It's kind of more Dunkirk than D-Day, where we're at. And if we were a bird, well, we wouldn't be an eagle. We'd be one of those pigeons with like a gammy leg. That's how we feel. If we were a fish, we wouldn't be a marlin. We'd be a goldfish. Quite possibly floating at the top of its tank. That's where we're at. So where would you say you are at? Those are the ends of the spectrum. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, this is where I'm at, or I think you might be a goldfish, or whatever you want to say to them. Turn to them. Tell them, where do you think you're at on this spectrum? Okay, let's do a bit of a straw poll, shall we? I'm going to force you to go one side or the other, all right? And be honest with me, all right? Those of us who say, I'm over this side of the spectrum, on the whole, life is good, and I'm experiencing God's presence and blessing, and put a hand in the air. Marvellous, great, all, all 12 of you. No, no, it's more than that. That's brilliant, that is great. Long may that continue. What about those of us over this side of the equation? How many of you would place a hand in the air? Okay, a similar kind of number. Chances are it's going to be pretty much 50-50 spread. Well, of course, what I'd like to do this morning is actually to address this side of the equation. Those of us who are perhaps somewhat struggling. And personally, I would put myself over this side. And it's probably been that way for a little while now. Uh, the predominant feeling for me over many months would have been one of feeling overwhelmed. Uh, three out of our four children are suffering with long-term illnesses of one sort or another. So we're busy meeting consultants, um, school support staff, going for medical appointment after medical appointment, and we're very grateful for all the care we're receiving, but we're extremely stretched with all of that. And at the same time, we're coming to church on a Sunday morning and trying to celebrate every back that we hear is healed and every breakthrough that God is giving to other people. And then when you add in house renovations and the demands of a busy church, then the feeling is of being somewhat overrun in the middle of everything. So what I want to do this morning is I want to address those of us who would say we're on this side of the equation and talk with, uh, from a story in the Bible that has meant something to me in this journey. And I speak as one not who used to have these issues a few years back, and now you can benefit from my wisdom, but rather somebody who's in the trenches, just like you, with all this going on. 
Now, maybe you're on this side of the equation, which is great, but I would say to you, perhaps it's going to be relevant for you, because in my experience, the pendulum does swing backwards and forwards somewhat. Yeah? You might be one of those rare people for which life has just been one long, rich pageant of blessing and fun, in which case, those of us over this side would like to say, we are deeply happy for you. <laughs> That's just peachy, that is. Um, but, but for most of us, we're going to be swinging backwards and forwards. And so we need to know how to handle the spiritual low times as well as handling the high. So if you've got a Bible, maybe you want to look with me. Uh, we're going to look at the story of Elijah from 1 Kings 19. Don't worry if you haven't got a Bible. It's going to come up on the screen. Let me give you the story so far. Um, Elijah is an Old Testament prophet, and the nation of Israel is being led by King Ahab and his queen Jezebel. If you are parents expecting to have a child and looking for biblical names, just keep looking, all right? So... Um, <laughs> It's right up there with Judas. Don't, don't name your daughter Jezebel. Um, anyway, what they've done, the king and the queen, is they have lured the people of Israel into following the, the, the god Baal. And um, there's been this amazing showdown on Mount Carmel where Elijah is against 300 prophets of Baal and they have two altars. And the idea is to basically, it's the Bible's version of my dad is bigger than your dad. That's what's going on. And Elijah wins with this amazing moment where fire falls from heaven and burns up all the offering. Well, right after that, Queen Jezebel threatens to kill him. Immediately, the next verse. It goes like this in 1 Kings 19. This is Jezebel speaking. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, Elijah, just as you killed them. Elijah, understandably, was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So he's isolating himself. Register that. Then he went alone into the wilderness, which references Phil's prophetic word earlier on, interestingly, and he traveled all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Just an aside at that point, notice that Elijah, even in his lowest point, realizes that he doesn't have the authority to take his own life. It's for God to give life and take it away. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead of you will be, or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. That's the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I just love to hear God's tone with that. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah then replies again with the same answer. I've zealously served the Lord. It's all gone wrong. I'm the only one left. 
Then in verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint these different people. And then he has to anoint Hazael, Elisha, and Jehu. And then verse 18, last for our passage today, says this, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So the Lord's saying to him, you are not on your own. Well, there's so much in this passage, more than we can possibly cover today. But what I want to do is very simply show you how this passage is helping me now. The first thing that encourages me from this passage is it shows me that it's perfectly normal for God's people to experience massive highs but also massive lows. Elijah's a mighty man of God, but he's on this roller coaster of highs and lows. He's just had this epic showdown with 300 prophets. He's seen God's power move so mightily that the very rocks that the altar was built on melted. That's how dramatic it was. You know, if, if you're an Old Testament prophet, that's a, that's a win, yeah? That is a good day at the office right there, okay? And then after that incredible move of God... Elijah expects the whole nation to suddenly turn around and the whole situation to be turned on its head. Everybody to turn back to God. But instead, it goes in the opposite direction and his life is threatened. No wonder he's rocked by this. He's gone from hero to zero in an instant. And if I was Elijah, I'd be thinking, I put myself out there, 300 to 1, seeing this amazing victory, but now things are worse than they were before. I imagine he's thinking, what is going on? The Bible's very honest about the highs and the lows that we experience, that they sometimes follow one straight after the other. There's triumph, and then there's tragedy. So the apostle Peter walks on the water. Amazing triumph. But then you also see that he struggles with foot-in-mouth disease, and he's constantly saying dumb stuff, so much so that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Paul the apostle, too, um, experiences highs and lows. He sees some incredible miracles. He's been, been blessed with a brilliant name. So there's some good stuff in his life. But Some of you just got that. Um, but there's some good stuff in his life, but then there's also the negative stuff. You know, He delivers a sermon so boring that someone falls out of a first-story window and dies, thereby forcing him to perform another amazing miracle. Incidentally, that's why we put the auditorium on the ground floor. So you are now free to fall asleep here in complete safety. And some of you do. Okay, so, so there's all these highs and lows going on. Uh, God's people ex- experience miraculous escapes from prison and then long-term imprisonment. They experience abundant provision and then hunger. Popularity and then revulsion. Favor and then persecution. It is full of highs and lows. James tells us to expect trials. And Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're experiencing. In other words, don't get caught off guard. There will be some ups and downs along the way. It's perfectly normal. It was normal for God's people to experience low points, and I experienced them too. And as we all know, I'm the most normal person here. So if I experience them, then you can expect to too. You know, for some of us, we thought that becoming a Christian would mean that life became easier. Surely if we're following God, then we're going to have an easier life. And then we hit a low point and we're totally thrown. That wasn't part of the deal. This isn't what I signed up for. And particularly in a society that values comfort, we really struggle with that. And I guess if that's you, I'd say to you, my understanding of the promises of Scripture is that if you follow God with everything you've got, your life will certainly get better. 
but it won't necessarily get easier. And there's the world of difference between the two. If you lean into God with everything you've got, then you will find more joy, more purpose, more peace than you can possibly imagine. But that's not the same thing as an easy life. Because otherwise, our lives become utterly dependent. Our spiritual well-being becomes utterly dependent on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So if I get a pay rise and I have lots of friends and I'm healthy, then everything's good. But on the other side of the coin, if I get sick or lose my job or feel lonely, then something's gone wrong here. When Elijah hits a spiritual low and things go wrong, what does he do? He heads to Sinai. He goes from Carmel in the north down to Sinai in the south, a long, long journey. Why does he do that? Because Sinai is the place where Moses encountered God. So Elijah's saying, I've hit a low point. I'm headed towards God. So often in my life, I hit difficulty, circumstances go down the pan, and my instinct is to withdraw. Withdraw from God and withdraw from other people around me. Elijah doesn't do that. True maturity, true Christian maturity is heading towards God in the times of trouble, not pulling away. He leans into God, not away from him. Because you see, Jesus never promised you a crisis-free life. But he did promise you a crisis-proof life. That he will never leave you. He will never let you down. That he will always be with you no matter how bad the circumstances He's God incarnate with us. So my children get sick. We've been doing hospital appointments for over four years now. Yes, it's hard. I want to be very honest with you and before God about that. It's not what I wanted for their childhood. It's painful and perplexing. And if I'm honest, I would much rather that I had the sicknesses than them. But at the end of the day... My faith isn't going to be dependent on my circumstances. I'm not a Christian here today because life is easy. I'm a Christian because I believe a loving God sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sin and selfishness so that I might know him and be with him forever. My faith is based on the fact of the resurrection, not the feelings of my situation. And I have good days and bad days on that. But bottom line, I refuse to be defined by my circumstances. I'm called to more than that. And so are you. If you're uncertain about your faith or perhaps not a Christian yet, I'd really encourage you, don't base your faith on life getting easier. Research about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus and then stake your life on that. Because that is solid ground. Everything else really is shifting sand. So Elijah experienced these highs and lows, but in the low points, he pushes into God rather than pulls away. That's the first thing that really encourages me from this. The second thing I love about this story is just how practical the father is. Um, Elijah's just had this major burnout, no other way of putting it. And he's questioning not just his call, but his whole existence. He's asking the big questions of life. And what does the father do? The father makes him a loaf of bread. He makes him a loaf of bread, gets him some water. The angel of the Lord wakes Elijah up and wakes him up to the smell of warm bread. So we've got bread, the most basic, ubiquitous of human foodstuffs used around the world. We've got bread. And then we've got an angel, the spiritual being. 
So we have the practical and the spiritual. An angel and bread. Not garlic and bread, but an angel and bread. Peter K fans. Uh, you know, there's, we need the both. We know both the spiritual and the practical. We need, we need both of them. If we're honest, most of us would lean one way or the other. We're more comfortable with something that's deeply spiritual, or others of us are more comfortable with the practical. And so we tend to think of every, every problem we face as either a spiritual one or a practical one. So uh, maybe some of us, we, we would like to think of everything as, as, a, as a practical problem. You know, if I can just save enough money, if I can just work hard enough, if I can push through and work hard enough for my marriage, or to find the right medication for my problem, then everything will be okay. If I can just manage my time better, life will be okay. How many of us have told us, ourselves that? Meanwhile, others of us tend to think of every problem as spiritual. You know, money's tight, so I'll just declare breakthrough. I've been really tired recently, so I'm going to have a half night of prayer rebuking the tiredness, you know, and that's our, that's our way of handling everything. And sometimes we want a nice, quick, easy solution. We see we hit a low point, maybe going through depression or anxiety or a financial challenge, and we reduce everything down to a single solution. But the truth is, we need financial miracles and a sensible budget. We need supernatural breakthrough for our marriages, and we have a, need to have enough humility to go and ask somebody for some help. It's easier for us to break down complex situations into a quick fix. But that's like doing plumbing, where the only tool you ever use is a hammer. It's not going to work. I've tried it. Um, you're only going to create more problems than you solve. When the truth is that we are spiritual beings wrapped up in a physical body, subject to our moral choices, living in an increasingly complicated world. So we're going to need a variety of different options and solutions. As the medics would put it, we need a multidisciplinary approach to things. And God treats Elijah as a whole person. There's spiritual encounter and there's practical provision. We need to make sure that when we minister and help others, we don't come in with an overly simplistic, one-size-fits-all approach to caring for other people. Things are complicated. The best place we can start is by asking, what do you need? Listening to one another. We need the practical and the spiritual. As um, John Wimber once said, when I get a headache, I take an aspirin and say a prayer. And I don't mind which one gets there first. We need the practical and the spiritual. And here's a few things that I'm trying to do, spiritual and practical, in the middle of this low point. Um, I've had a team, Emma and I have had a team round to pray around our house in case there was some sort of spiritual oppression. We've, I've changed my bedtime routine, so I'm not on screens late at night. I do other things. Uh, we've got a range of medical professional meetings, like I said. Uh, I have personal prayer times with others. So as Phil said, he and I, I asked him, look, I need to pray with somebody this week, and we, we got together. I didn't wait for him to approach me. Uh, I stopped doing DIY on my days off, so they're getting proper time off. Uh, we did this. We got a, a thankfulness jar last year where you just write down on a slip of paper something out of the ordinary that, where God's blessed you as a family. And everybody in the family writes different things, puts them in through the course of the year. Uh, on, on New Year's Eve, uh, we sat down as a family, opened the jar up, and read out 71 different unexpected blessings that God had given us in the tail end of last year. We started the new one this year. So we're doing practical things like that. Yeah, yay God. 
Um, I, I'm trying to look after myself a bit more physically. I started cycling again, not in Lycra. You'll be pleased to hear, just normal cycling. Um, I found a great uh, Bible commentary app uh, on my iPad, and I've got times where I'll say, God, I'm going to give myself to you in worship for this 20 minutes without distraction. I'm trying to do the spiritual and the practical all together. Elijah needs both. And so do you and I when we're in spiritual lows. That's the second thing. God is wonderfully practical and spiritual with Elijah. The last thing, just as we come into a land and pray in a moment. The last thing this story shows me is this. It shows me God's perspective in all that's going on. You know, um, a while ago, we got the chance to go on holiday uh, to France as a family. And uh, we were by the door door, door in this massive um, wide river uh, towards the south of France, and we saw there were people on canoes out there. So we, we looked into it and managed to find some canoes to hire. And so we hired these canoes, and the idea was that we would, we would canoe along a 16-kilometer stretch of the river. I think in reality, we probably canoed about 32 kilometers because the whole time we spent going zigzag down the river. And I remember it very clearly. I was sat in the boat, and these things are really difficult to steer. They need a steering wheel or something. Somebody should invent that. But we're paddling away, and it seemed like the whole time we were just headed towards a bank, you know? And, and that was probably the reality of it. And we'd bounce off one bank, turn, and seem to head across to the other bank. We were exhausted by the end of it. But from the perspective of me in the, in the sort of prow of the boat, it looked like the whole time we were just heading for a crash when in reality, we were actually making progress. It was just that it was a zigzag course. Our lives are somewhat like that, aren't they? Our path from A to B is very rarely a straight line. It's it's usually the case that we take a bit of a detour here and there, a zigzag. And guess what? God's in every single detour in our lives. He's the, the master map reader, if you like, on that. Elijah is headed for a bank in this scene. He thinks it's all over. He thinks it's the end of the line for him. He says in verse 10, I have been zealous, past tense. I used to be zealous, but I'm not anymore. Did you used to be zealous, used to be enthusiastic? Maybe you find yourself thinking, I never thought life would be quite like this. I thought I'd be further on than I am now. I thought I'd be maybe in leadership now, or thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd have kids by now. I thought I'd be financially independent by now. I thought things in life would be different. Not only do we expect to be somewhere else, we also expected to be someone else. Just like Elijah, we never imagined life would work out like this. And maybe just like Elijah, we're ready to throw in the towel. Maybe not pray the suicide prayer, but certainly ready to give up hope and our calling. And then God comes. Elijah had expected God to work through the fire and the earthquake, but God doesn't always work the way we expect him to. Instead, he comes in the whisper. And right into the middle, perhaps with tenderness, he speaks to Elijah's pain and bewilderment. And he says to him, what are you doing here? Now, obviously, Whenever God asks you a question, it's not because he lacks information. He kind of knows what's going on. It's for our benefit, not his. And Elijah's forced to confront where his life is at. And so often the danger is if we get disillusioned, we get stuck in that place. We just go round and round, resentment or hurt. And I want to say to us, where are you at? What are you doing here? And into that place, God speaks to Elijah and he says, go back the way you came. 
I want you to go there. I want you to anoint this person and this person. And I want you to anoint Elisha, who's now going to multiply your ministry. Far from it being the end of the road, it's merely a time for acceleration and multiplication. In other words, God is saying to Elijah, you're still called. Nothing changed. Yes, it's a low point, but my call on your life remains exactly the same as it was when you were on Mount Carmel. I want to say to you this morning, if you're in any way disillusioned, that things haven't worked out the way you thought. Maybe you're weary like me and a bit overwhelmed. Maybe you're disappointed with yourself or others. I want to say to you this morning, don't worry. You haven't missed it. You are still called. The God of the universe, it says in Ephesians 2, has got plans that he's prepared before he created the world for you to do. It's not the end of the story. Yes, on one level, I'm a bit emotionally depleted and overrun. My kids have been sick for a long time. But here's the thing. God hasn't finished with me yet. This isn't the end of the story. And he hasn't finished with you either. And he will take every detour and turn it into a triumph. He will teach you things that you couldn't have learned if life was always easy. My life doesn't look how I imagined it would. didn't imagine to be living in Bedford and doing this job. But maybe, maybe adversity will make me more dependent on God than comfort ever would. And as a result, God will be more glorified. So I'm refusing to allow mere circumstances to derail me. I'm more valuable than that. It's tough sometimes, undoubtedly. I want to be honest before God about that. But I've got a part to play in the great story that God is writing here. And so have you. So we're going to build a house of hospitality here. We're going to build a house of transformation and see so many different lives change. We're going to build a place of worship and prayer that impacts massively around us. And I get to play a part in that. So regardless of my feelings and my circumstances, I'm saying count me in. Count me in. And I'm inviting you to do the same. Despite your circumstances, perhaps the glory that God gets will be greater through your low points than it will be through your high points.